Welcome to Strength for Today's Pastor, conversations with current senior pastors and leaders which will strengthen and help you in your pastoral ministry. And now, here's your host, Bill Holdridge of Poyman Ministries. Welcome to podcast number 156 of Strength for Today's Pastor. I am here in the living room of Pastor Don Reifstra of Calvary Chapel, Rochester, Minnesota. Great to be in Minnesota. Don, great to be in your living room. Yeah, thanks, Bill. It's, uh, it's great having you out here. Yeah, we've had a good time, uh, as you know, of course, but the listeners don't know yet. I, I came in Friday evening and spent time with your team and got to speak in the church this morning. I was blessed by that. Thank you for that. And, and now we're doing this podcast and we'll un, uh, unveil the, the things that we want to talk about as we go. Sounds good. So, Don, you are um, on the cusp of something very exciting for you and your wife, Teresa, and we'll get to that. Uh, but you're, you're pastoring in Rochester, Minnesota. I mean, Rochester, Minnesota. I'd never been here until last Friday, but I had known that it is the headquarters of the world-famous Mayo Clinic. And I was interested to see the size and magnitude of the Mayo Clinic. I saw a little portion of it. Uh, but just tell us a little bit about the city of Rochester and how did you, a California guy, end up here in Rochester, Minnesota? Well, that's a good question. Uh, you know, Mayo Clinic is the uh, largest employer here in, in Rochester. They employ about 42,000 people out of a population of about 120,000 in Rochester. And uh, so uh, the Mayo Medical Facility is, is a huge complex. They're spread out throughout the city. I usually um, joke with people and say, you know, if, if you were in any city on any street and you were going to have a heart attack, you'd want to do it in Rochester, Minnesota, because the chances are there's going to be a doctor or a, med- a medical professional <laughs> walking on the street. I've, I've literally seen that happen before. Wow. So. <laughs> Um, yeah, so um, the reason why I came out here um, was not to start a Calvary Chapel. I was working for a large corporation, and uh, uh, I took a job transfer from San Jose, California, out to Rochester, and uh, was working uh, was working full time for this corporation. So you ended up here, and uh, because of your job, and you worked for how many years before? the idea came into your head or the encouragement came into your heart to actually start doing what became Calvary Chapel Rochester? Yeah, um, I probably had about 12 years of, of working for this corporation. And uh, I had I had been attending uh, South Valley Calvary Chapel in, in the San Jose area uh, for a number of years. And then uh, with Pastor Tim Brown. And then later, uh, we merged with uh, San Jose Calvary Chapel under uh, Pastor Don McClure. And so I, I've had, a, my wife and I've had experience and background with Calvary Chapel. And uh, coming out here, one of the things that was actually kind of discouraging for us, we visited many, many churches when we moved out here, and we found nothing like Calvary Chapel. And so, uh, you know, we, we ended up settling into a church, and it was a good church, um, but it was, you know, topical teaching, and uh, it was a large church, so it was really hard to feel um, a real connection with people. Um, so we were attending that for quite a while, and then eventually I found out about some Calvary Chapels up in the Twin Cities, uh, Calvary Chapel St. Paul and Calvary Chapel Twin Cities, and contacting them and uh, just wanting to know, actually, if there was a home fellowship south of the cities. Um, they're about 77 miles north of us. And uh, at the time, Calvary Chapel St. Paul was praying about starting an outreach down here. And so that was kind of the seeds of, of Calvary Chapel Rochester. Okay. So had you had a thought prior to that of ever being a lead or a senior pastor? No, not at all. Um, the interesting thing with that is uh, uh, after uh, we had a Calvary Chapel outreach here, based on St. Paul, and um, I was still working full-time for my company. I remember one one uh, summer afternoon going for a, a noon walk uh, on my lunch break and uh, walking on this beautiful trail, 
And it wasn't an audible voice, but it felt like the Lord was saying, uh, I want you, I'm calling you into ministry. And so I, I came home and I told my wife, I said, honey, I had the weirdest thing happen at lunch. I said, I've, I really sense the Lord's calling me either to be an associate pastor or a senior pastor. And I said, I don't want to do either one. And I don't want you to tell anybody about this. <laughs> so I swore her to secrecy. <laughs> Kind of like Saul when he was supposed to present himself as the king of Israel, but he's hiding behind the equipment. Yeah, yeah, that's that's <laughs> correct. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so you you became uh, obviously the founding pastor of Calvary Chapel Rochester. It's really interesting to me. So you heard the Lord calling you. Yes. It wasn't audible, but you heard the Lord calling you. Yes. How many times have you gone back to that event of your calling? in your mind in order to affect your heart to keep going? Many times. Um, I've been bivocationally employed the entire time I've been pastoring here in Calvary Chapel. And there comes times where uh, discouragement or, you know, just wondering, is this worth it, you know, and stuff. So yeah, I've had many times where I've revisited that and said, Lord, you called me to this and I'm, I'm gonna trust you and be faithful in it. Reminds me of Paul's words to Timothy that through the prophecies that pointed to him, by them he should wage the good warfare. So that's what you've been doing for all these years. So a little bit of a spoiler alert uh, for those that are listening to this podcast, Don. We're going to be talking about your time of transitioning from Calvary Chapel, Rochester, to something new in the future, which is going to create and has created already an opening here for someone who God has called, just like he called you, to be in this place to assume the leadership of this church with a team of elders that have been raised up by the Holy Spirit to move Calvary Chapel Rochester forward. So that's coming in this podcast. So if you're interested in an opportunity like this, anybody that's listening or you have someone that you know of that might be a fit for this, uh, just continue to be all ears because we want to try to paint a picture of what what this is going to be like for somebody that, that ends up coming here that the Lord has called. Okay, so here we are. We're going back to the beginning. So you, you actually had an official beginning of Calvary Chapel Rochester in 1999. Is that correct? That's correct, yes. Okay, and then later you were affiliated as a Calvary Chapel pastor. But from heaven's perspective, the church started in 1999, right? Yeah, that's correct, yes. Okay, so typical humble beginnings, as is true in any church plant in a big city. Yeah, we we uh, well, we met uh, many different places. We've met in homes. Uh, we met in a city park for a while. Um, and uh, a couple schools. Uh, eventually, we ended up for the longest period meeting in a hotel. And that actually really, uh, I look back on it, you know, nobody likes church in a box. You know, you have to haul things in and haul things out. Um, but I look back at some really unique ministry opportunities that we had there. Um, we've got a lot of people that would, they would just show up in in our church service, not knowing that there was a church meeting at the hotel, and they'd see we put our sign out, you know, sandwich board sign, and and we'd get visitors that would come in that are guests of the hotel, and many opportunities to pray with people and and just minister. So that that was kind of a unique situation, and I I, I don't regret it at all. It was great to meet people that way. You know, one of the things interesting to me, just being here for a short time, is that because of Mayo Clinic. You're getting lots of visitors here from all over the country regularly, right? That's correct, yes. And this morning, I probably met five or six people that were from elsewhere. Not not this morning from elsewhere, but I mean, had originally come here from elsewhere. Mm -hmm. And they had Calvary Chapel backgrounds, solid Calvary Chapel backgrounds in most cases. So uh, this is a good place to attract people that want to be part of an existing Calvary, and then help push it forward to the future that God has for the church. Yeah, and you know, one of the unique things that we've had, um, this is not a college town, but because Mayo Clinic is a teaching hospital, we get um, Mayo medical students that come, and uh, they come, some of them come from Calvary chapels, you know, all over, and they, they come to Rochester, they're here for a couple years, going through training, their education, and uh, they get plugged into our fellowship. 
Mm. And so uh, we've been able to, you know, just sow into the lives of, of many, many people. That's awesome. And they're all over. They're, you know, they're doctors or professionals in different places. And they look back at their time here in Rochester, and we're still in contact with many of them, actually. This has been, in a sense, a missionary training endeavor. You know, these guys come in, they get grounded in the Word, they get discipled. These are doctors. These are high intellect, high achieving, high functioning individuals. And they go out to their next place and they've got a solid foundation for their walks and their career. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Well done, man. Well, thank you. I mean, that's just huge. Well done. Good job. So you came from a, a Dutch background. Um, your name is spelled R-Y-P-S-T-R-A. That's and, correct. <laughs> and so I, uh, you know, I had to ask you when we first talked, how do you pronounce that? Is it Ripstra? What is it? And you said Ripstra. Yeah. But you're also gr- very gracious. If somebody calls you Ripstra, you're not going to rip them up. For That's right. Ripstra. I've been called a lot of things. So. <laughs> Don Ripstra. So uh, this is kind of a going back into the beginnings of your life and walk, but uh, Dutch Reformed upbringing, I'm sure, and yep. uh, very solid Dutch background, both sides of your family, yep. right? That's and, correct. And then, and then you became a Christian and came into Calvary Chapel. Short version, how did that happen? Well, so I was, uh, I was born in Canada, actually. My parents emigrated from the Netherlands to Canada. I was born there. And then they emigrated with our family uh, to California and uh, uh, we were Christian Reformed, as was the denomination we were involved with. And uh, my sister attended Biola College in uh, 1971. And uh, she actually um, was familiar with John Corson from the Bay Area. And so uh, John and his brother had started a, a, a church up in, up in San Jose. And uh, she, I was in high school at the time. She was uh, she was already out of college, I believe, and she uh, invited me to come to this church at this school. And it was nothing like what I had experienced with the you know mainline denomination. And and it stuck in my head. Um, I wasn't really walking with the Lord at that point, but uh, eventually I got enlisted. I enlisted in the Coast Guard and got stationed in Duluth, Minnesota. Uh, met my wife. We got married. Uh, we transferred back to, when my enlistment was on, we transferred back to San Jose. And we started looking for churches. And again, it was one of those situations where you just couldn't find anything. And I was driving down the road and I saw a sign that said South Valley Chapel. Mm. And, I said, and I came home and I told my wife, I said, I remember going to this church once. I want us to try it out. And uh, we went the very first Sunday and we said, this is home. And we just fell in love with the teaching through the word and the worship and just the, the real, the, the people were real there. And that, that made such an impact on me. So by that time, uh, John had moved on to Oregon, right? And, and Tim was now the pastor, Tim yes. Brown? Yep, Pastor Tim Brown, yes. Okay, yeah, Tim Brown, what a wonderful brother. Yeah, I love him. <laughs> yeah, so do I. Okay, so South Valley Chapel, and of course, then there was the uh, connection with Calvary Chapel San Jose, and they they became uh, part of Calvary Chapel San Jose and kind of merged into their fellowship and all of that. And then eventually your corporate uh, job was there in the Silicon Valley, and then the move to Rochester, and here we are. Here we are. Church. <laughs> so during the years, all the years of, of the ministry here, Don, officially starting in 1999, 24-plus years or so-ish mm-hmm. um, in the ministry here, um, you've been bivocational the whole time. Yeah, the whole time. Um, when I first started, when I had that calling, I was working full time. And uh, so I started, uh, you know, uh, you know, pastoring and working full time. And, and uh, uh, it worked out, you know, fairly well. Um, it had its struggles. Um, but then um, I ended up getting laid off. And uh, so then... Uh, the church started supporting me um, with a, a salary and a housing allowance. Um, but, you know, we're a small fellowship, so, it, you know, it wasn't, they couldn't afford to, you know, put me on full-time. And so I just uh, started working part-time. Um, what was nice about that was, you know, I worked less than full-time, so that enabled me more time to, you know, to minister and to prepare and things like that. Yeah. Well, you know, you are, as a bivocational pastor, one of 
maybe millions worldwide. I mean, uh, my guess is, and I haven't done any kind of an official statistical study on this at all, but most senior or lead pastors in the world are bivocational. Certainly is true in uh, Sub-Sahara Africa, and it's true in a lot of places in South America and Mexico. Uh, congregations aren't able to afford supporting a, a, a church family, pastor family, full-time. So you, you're one of many. And um, so it's been, it's been with its bumps and grinds, I'm sure. It's, what have been some of the challenges in being bivocational for you personally? Um, you know, I think sometimes, you know, people have an expectation that, okay, if you're a church, you're going to have this kind of a ministry, you're going to have a youth ministry, you're going to have an outreach ministry, you're going to do street evangelism. Um, all those are good. All those are, are you know, uh, are needed. Um, but sometimes I'd feel the pressure that, you know, I've got to, I've got to do these things. And yet here I am trying to work full time or part time, you know, putting in my hours at work. And then basically just having the time, my free time was preparing for Sunday's services and then trying to minister, uh, you know, doing visitations or anything like that. So one of the biggest challenges was, um, not, you know, dealing with expectations, maybe probably more from others, but even my own expectations yeah. that, you know, hey, I need to be doing this and and here I don't have the free time to do that. And so having that bandwidth <laughs> could be a could be a real challenge from time to time. You really had to pick your spots, didn't you, as to what you were gonna yes. invest in because you also were raising kids. Right. And I'm married. <laughs> and and I want you're to married stay that way. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, hello. I've got a wife and I've got kids. <laughs> yeah. 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 So that's that's really important. So it's a challenge to, to balance things. It's a challenge to know what lane you're supposed to be in and what lanes you don't need to dive into. But I'm thinking about the doctor that is trained here medically and then discipled spiritually by being part of this church. Uh, I'm sure that they learned elements and dynamics of church fellowship, what that looked like, sharing lives with each other, doing life in the middle of a busy training schedule, learning the Word of God. I mean, that was your lane. That was your lane. That was, Not the only lane, but that was a lane Mm -hmm. that was super important from a kingdom perspective. Uh, It it didn't necessarily produce a megachurch, but it produced the church that was supposed to be. Do do you feel that way? Oh, yeah. You know, it it was kind of funny because... uh, There'd be times where, you know, I know that one of those medical students or the interns were getting ready to, you know, they're finishing up their education. And and there was a number of them that actually wanted to stay at Mayo Clinic to be hired and just be a, on staff at Mayo Clinic. And, and I'd be praying for him because, Lord, we need some doctors in this <laughs> <Yeah>. church. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, none of them have. All of them have gone to different places um, but it's amazing. I, I get contacted by uh, some of them on a regular basis, and one of the things that they've told me is that they never experienced such a sweet fellowship time as they did at Calvary Chapel Rochester. And I'm not saying that to be prideful or anything, but that was encouraging to hear things like that because sometimes you wonder, you know, am I really making a difference? Mm-hmm. Well, just being here this weekend, Don, I can see, you know, that the people are genuine people. They're real people. They're welcoming people. And you and Teresa provided a model of authenticity that they've been able to emulate. I mean, that's that's all very important. I mean, uh, when John wrote to the his readers, he said, these things we write to you that you might have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write to you that your joy may be made full. So fullness of joy has arisen in the hearts of people because of what God has done here. So again, back to the bivocational thing. And then we want to segue a little bit into um, the idea of a church that isn't a mega church. It's not even really a medium-sized church, according to the way people designate these things, most would call this church a small church or a smaller church. But I love what Carl Vaders did in his book, Small Church Essentials. 
and has done sub- subsequent to writing that book, he no longer calls them small churches because he was a small church pastor, so-called, for all those years. And then the light bulb went on. The only thing they can do and the only thing they should do is to be the absolute best version of themselves they can be in their community. And so looking at the statistics, the average number of adults that are in a consistent church commitment in the United States, that's the norm. So your church that you've pastored is a normal-sized church, and that's the way he labels them. And I love that. I love, I love, I love that. So how do you feel about all that? What's what's your response to Carl Vader's comment or his way of looking at it? You know, that, that's encouraging. Um, you know, I, I, I love the, the pastors' conferences and everything, and, and uh, I love coming and, and being in fellowship with other pastors. And, uh, you know, sometimes you... You, you feel like you're almost out of place. It's like I don't I don't know if I even belong here because I'm pastoring such a small church, and and uh, and yet to know that um, you know God's brought those individuals into this fellowship, and uh, I I can just pour into their lives and minister to who whoever God has here, and it's really freeing not to be too concerned about the numbers. Um, God just. Uh, you know, he's always provided for our fellowship, so we've never been, you know, struggling that way. Um, he's always provided, and just ministry has been uh, a lot more relational, one-on-one, um, and and I think that's important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think I agree with you. So, you know, again, back to the, uh, the normal-sized church concept and whatever, you guys have found your lane, you've been doing this for a long time. And um, now there's a change. There's a paradigm shift going on within you, you and yes. Teresa. Um, you took a job uh, as your your bivocational approach has been over, throughout the years. You took a job with another corporation, so to speak. That's correct. So talk talk to us about that. What is that? What is that role that you've been in, and how long have you been in it, and, and what's going on with it? So the uh, Franklin Graham God Loves You Tour um, came through Rochester, and uh, uh, they contacted me and wanted to know if I wanted to be a local tour representative for the, which is basically a, a, a contacting other churches here in in the Rochester area and, and just uh, letting them know about the tour and getting them involved with it, and uh, I jumped on that chance to do that, uh, and so. I started doing that, and then when I got done with that, I fell in love with ministering that way. And so they actually offered me to work uh, as a regular full-time tour rep. And so I've been traveling uh, with them for the on the tour. So I work for the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association now. Uh, that's my that's my bivocational position now, and absolutely love it. Okay, you've been doing it for a year and a half, uh, you yes. told me. So what is it about that that has really caught your fancy? Well, you know, the interesting thing is um, my wife even tells me that. She goes, you know, out of all the jobs that you've done, she goes, I've never seen you more happy than what you're doing there. And, and the reason why is one of my roles is to contact churches in whatever city the tour is going to be at and to uh, get to know the pastors. And so, you know, I, I, I visit large churches, but I also visit small churches that are about the same size as mine. And uh, it, what's really cool for me is sometimes when you start getting to know the pastor, um, uh, sometimes I've been sitting in a room with a pastor and we've had some small talk or just you know talking about the church. And then after a while, they get a little bit more relaxed and, and uh, you know, I say, is there anything we can pray for you about? And then they'll share, I got this struggle going on in, this, in our church or this situation. And a lot of those things are things that I've experienced personally. And so for me, I can empathize with them, but I can also encourage them and pray with them. And, and there's, it's so rewarding to be able to find other pastors that have, are struggling. And so, hey, you're not alone. Yeah, we, we love you. We care about you. And, and uh, so that's been the most rewarding thing, aspect of, of uh, what I do. Yeah, that's, that's a real niche that you're filling there for these men. You know, it's 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 sad, isn't it, Don? That 
that uh, we pastors don't often feel like we've got someone we can talk to. That's correct, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and within maybe our, our structure, like in a denominational church, and Calvary Chapel doesn't call itself a denomination, uh, but within our circle, within our tribe, whatever it might be, uh, ideally we can find those that we can connect with, and of course you and I have those connections, but sometimes pastors don't feel like they do, have those connections, where do they go? And then in comes the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association and the the Crusades with Franklin Graham swooping into town, flying in on <laughs> angels' wings, and here comes Don Reibstra coming off the plane and uh he's the Lord sent him here for me. You yeah, know, that's what the pastor's thinking. Yeah, you're right. And 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 uh I, I've had some pastors uh, they're just kind of so surprised that the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association would want to even visit their church and, and visit them, and they maybe have twenty, thirty people in their church or something or more. But uh, and and so they're feeling so insignificant, and yet in, the, in God's kingdom, nobody is absolutely not absolutely nobody's insignificant. This goes this goes right into the the subject of congregational and leadership self-esteem. How do we esteem ourselves? Of course, we don't esteem ourselves as being important or valuable in and of ourselves, but like you just said, the Lord esteems us as right. very valuable. We we need to not settle on our own inferior estimation of ourselves, whether it's too high or too low of an estimation. We need to settle only in one place, and that is what's the Lord's estimation of us, and what has he called us to do? How hard is it to do that? Uh, it's, it's, you got to remind yourself. It's, it's a tough thing, yeah. There's a, there's a lot of voices out there that are saying you know, a lot of expectations, a lot of voices, and you really need to be solidly in the Word and spending your time with the Lord, you know. Um, yeah. And in fact, that's one of the, sometimes that could be the challenge. I was Kind of rebuked once um, by a, by a brother in the Lord. He, um, he was asking me. Uh, so he said, "So what uh, what book are you in? You know, in your in your devotions." And I said, "Well, you know, we're going through the book of Ephesians right now. So, you know, I've been really studying Ephesians." And he's like, "Brother, you you need to be in the Word of God. What about you yourself?" And I'm I'm like, "Well, I don't have the time to because I'm working this job and all that stuff." And and you know, he he got on my case and it was in a good way. And it really really challenged me. You know, I need to have my own, I need to, I need to be grounded. I need to hear what the Lord's speaking to me personally um, to give me that, you know, that, that, that base for, for what, you know, a, 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 the right estimation of who I am in Christ. And so, you know, I need, I need to hear that from the Lord and uh, keeps my focus in the right place. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good word. That's a good word that, that speaks. So, Back to the subject of people coming to our churches from other places, and in the Calvary Chapel context, people coming from other Calvary chapels. So here's here's a word that I would share with pastors. If you know that some of the people in your fellowship are moving from your area to another area where there's a Calvary Chapel, here's how you can prepare your people. Let them drop all of their expectations. Uh, help them to understand that when they go to a new place, it's not going to be like Kansas. <laughs> you know what I mean right. by that. Oh, yeah. It's not going to be like it is in your large church in California or wherever that might be. And it's not going to be the same leader. So go in uh, desiring and rejoicing in the main things as they are continuing to be the main things in that church. Is there worship of God? Is the Bible being taught? Is the pastor a godly man who is a people-oriented person? Is his wife supportive of his ministry? Those kinds of things. If you've got that, and you know that that man is a man of God who's listening to the voice of Jesus, settle for that and have expectations. Only what the Holy Spirit wants to do through that leadership and through the leaders that have been raised up in that church. That's what I would say. Mm -hmm. What would you say? I would echo that. Um, we've had people that have come. Uh, I remember, you know, early, in the early years, we have people come uh, 
to Minnesota to maybe to be at at uh, work at Mayo Clinic or whatever, and um, they come from another Calvary Chapel, you know, ex Calvary Chapel somewhere, you know, typically on one of the coasts, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, I'm I'm thinking, well, that's probably one of the very large ones or whatever. And they come here and they do have that kind of an expectation that, you know, we're going to be just like that. And and here we are. We're a small Calvary Chapel. I mean, uh, the core, you know, the, the DNA is the same, but we're small. And yeah. and uh, and so uh, some of those people didn't stick around because they just, you know, they were they had that expectation yeah. that it was going to be just like what they left and yeah, and uh, so that that's that's in the early years that used to be kind of discouraging mm-hmm. um, all, be all excited oh here's a Calvary Chapel person they understand and and then and then they're not here they're not yeah. um, but but you know on the flip side of that we've the ministry here we've had people come from so many different denominations and they're not used to a solid teaching through the word. Um, and maybe they are, but they're like, for example, we have one guy that's like, you know, I've, we, our church I went to, they always went through the New Testament, but never the Old Testament. And here mm. I do both, you know, and, and, uh, they fall in love with it. And they don't even know about Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, or, you know, the Calvary Chapel movement, but they love what's taking place here in this church. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's the testimony, right? And that's what thrills the heart of the Holy Spirit. I think that's great. Okay, so now um, we want to talk a little bit about transition. Okay, sure. So you reached out to us, you know, for feedback and input and whatever. And one of the very first things that that you did was you formed a a, a new board. You had a board, but you added to the board, and you added to the board uh, men that were already in the fellowship. And you used a certain set of criteria to be the basis of your invitation. What were those criteria? Well, um, first of all, they needed to be involved in some way. So, you know, there's a certain level of commitment. Um, I also um, uh, wanted them to read Calvary Distinctives, so they were familiar with that. And then um, just agree with the statements of faith, basically, of Calvary Chapel and, and our Calvary in particular. Um, and uh, so, yeah, just had them kind of go through those things and, and asked them about it. Gave asked them for a testimony, and uh, based it on the, on those, you know, that criteria. Okay. So, as I understand it, even before those criteria, there was another set of criteria that had to do with who they were, who the men were themselves, what was their character like. Right. Right. Um, uh, not that they would have to be married, but if they are married, what's their marriage look like? Yeah. You know, are they are they solid? Are they um, are they loving husbands and and you know godly fathers and stuff? So yeah, looking at their married life, uh, are they consistent in their walk with the Lord? Those were you know that that you can't get beyond that. If the, if those things aren't right, then you you know not even worry about the other things. Right. You know, character based decisions. Character is yeah. most important. Yeah, yeah. I think there are seventeen characteristics in First Timothy three regarding the the bishop, mm-hmm. and only two of them have reference to giftedness. Right, it would be the ability to teach and hospitality. Yeah. So all the rest are character based. Yeah. So that that speaks to that particular issue. So having been around the guys that you have, so these are now called your transitional board. So that was a major thing for you to do. And you called it a transitional board because they would be the ones that would be helping in the process of identifying the next senior pastor. So now having established a transitional board, now it's time to move on to the next step. And you created a a document called a pastoral prospectus. Correct. In which you described the next senior pastor. So what does that next next senior pastor look like? Well, it, it's going to have to be a bivocation, somebody who's bivocationally employed uh, initially uh, with the goal to, to uh, be full-time employed. Uh, somebody who uh, is you know, uh, teach through the Bible chapter by chapter, verse by verse, um, both Old and New Testament. Our, our, our fellowship is used to that, and they're expecting that in the, new, in the new pastor, in the next pastor. So what about culturally? I mean, this is, a, this is the Midwest, okay? What about 
climate-wise, this is the Midwest, you know, these kinds of things, you know, what, what, what does that person have to be able to do? You know, it gets cold here in Minnesota, but uh, if you're dressed appropriately, uh, you know, people, some, sometimes you, people have the, the concept that life comes to a standstill in the winter and there's, you know, you just got to wait till the summer and then you can start doing things. And uh, people out here, they get involved in a lot of outdoor activities uh, in the wintertime, sports and uh, hunting, fishing, ice fishing. Uh, you know, my wife and I, we go, we go snowshoeing. We love doing that in the wintertime. So, there's a lot of activities that can be done year-round here uh, in Minnesota. But, you know, just being, uh, you know, aware that yeah, it's going to be cold, um, but it's not, it's not unbearable. Right, right. Okay, so there's the weather-related issues, and it's going to be cold, but just deal with it right. and, and adjust to it. You have to embrace it, right? You yes. Can't, you can't fight against it. You can just embrace it and prepare for it, right? That's absolutely right, yeah. Okay. So then what about the culture of the community in terms of people? I mean, Midwesterners have their own uh, generic uh, way of doing life. What are some of those characteristics and how are they important? Well, you need to learn to say oofta a lot. And oofta? <laughs> oofta. Okay. <laughs> no. Uh, yeah, you know, uh, Midwestern uh, people in the Midwest, uh, they have a very strong work ethic. Uh, they're very family. Uh, families are, are very important uh, to the to people in the Midwest here. And so uh, you just need to be aware of that. Um, we have, uh, you know, generational families, you know, as part of our fellowship and stuff. So you know, the mother, the grandmother, the aunt, you know, uncle, stuff like that. So uh, families are definitely uh, something you need to be aware of. Uh, the work ethic is strong. Um, there's also, uh, you know, this is, I don't know if this is considered the Bible Belt, but uh, there's a lot of people here that uh, uh, they they are, they think they're saved and based on, you know, maybe they were confirmed or or uh, they just attended a church. So uh, there's a lot of cultural Christianity that you need to kind of break through uh, in, in that respect. There's people that uh, uh, they think they're good people. You know, they're good, they're good solid people, good citizens and everything. And, and so uh, to get them to the point where they realize they need a Savior, that's a, that could be a challenge, and yet it's not, you know, the Holy Spirit uh, works here just like he works anywhere else. <laughs> well, that's one of the things that is important uh, in, in, in teaching through the Scripture. I mean, teaching through the Scripture, people are being exposed to something they've not been exposed to. Yeah. And, and so that's opening their eyes because now the Word of God is speaking to their hearts and showing them what they are or what they're not. Right, right. There's a lot of uh, uh, mainline denominational backgrounds, a lot of mm -hmm. Lutheran backgrounds or Catholic. And, mm -hmm. and uh, so, yeah, the teaching of the Word and, and especially teaching through the old and the new uh, is, for many people, it's a, it's a brand new experience. And uh, our, the people in our church have just come to fall in love with it. Yeah. Now they can't do without it. That's correct. They've, yeah. They're hungry for it. That's their, yeah, that's that's their appetite. <laughs> that's a good thing. Okay. So uh, the culture, a little bit about weather, a little bit about the people. So coming in from another state, perhaps, maybe from another Midwestern state, but maybe not coming in, they can't come in and and try to straighten out the Midwesterners and get them to do it like they did it in the state that they came from, right? That's Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah, you know, we've had people that come through, uh, visitors that have come through, uh, you know, from larger Calvary chapels on the, on, the, on, the, on the West Coast in particular. And they, you know, they, they think that uh, church is going to be, you know, the same out there. And uh, it's a different group of people. And uh, good people, very good people, loving people, um, but it's different. And and so, uh, yeah, if you come out here with expectations that you're going to turn this into a, you know, kind of a, uh, whatever their concept is of a Calvary Chapel out there, uh, you know, the DNA is the same, but the people might be different. And so just to be aware of that, not to push too many, too many expectations uh, on, on the people, um, so the cultural stuff, and, and then, you know, you, back to the bivocational thing. Uh, Rochester has a healthy economy. 
There is the Mayo Clinic, of course, which isn't going anywhere. 40,000 jobs. Uh, how about the wages? What are the wages like here for somebody who's not going to be working anywhere within the Mayo Clinic healthcare system? Uh, yeah, the way, I don't know the exact wages, but uh, they're good. They're, you know, you can, you can make a, a bivocational pastor could support himself with, you know, support from the church. Uh, fairly easily here. It's not. It won't be difficult. There's a lot of work here. Uh, a lot of different industries. Uh, construction is just always going on here, and so uh, a lot of construction jobs. Uh, there's a lot of IT work available here, and then there's the service sectors. You know, a lot of a lot of industry that supports all the visitors that come to Mayo Clinic from all over the world, and so uh, a lot of there's. Uh, there's no shortage of employment opportunities here of different kinds. Mm -hmm. That's good to know. Uh, so what about the educational system? Uh, we've got, uh, what, what's the public school system like, for example, for uh, a pastor with family? Yeah, um, the Rochester public school system is, uh, it's, I think academically, it's, it's really solid. Um, good teaching there. Uh, the, uh, there's, uh, a large homeschool um, population here, and a lot of support for the homeschools uh, here, uh, homeschool families, uh, organizations that they can be a part of uh, uh, for their children. Uh, there's a couple of Christian schools here in town. So uh, educationally, yeah, there's a lot of opportunities. Um, I, I would say it's good here for, for families, uh, for, for especially for school age, high schools, things like that. Yeah, so a pastor who, who is a good leader of his family uh, and a wife that's committed to the same, uh, they're going to be able to raise their kids in a, in a godly way that it's going to provide a, a good education for them moving forward. Yeah, yes. That's what you're saying, okay. Yeah. Uh, so back again to the bivocational thing. Uh, in speaking with the transitional board, as we spent time together even last night, it was apparent to me that the basic consensus of the group is we would like to have our pastor to be eventually full-time in ministry. Uh, it seems like they want to go in that way, although they won't be able to start that way. Uh, so maybe you could address that. Yeah. Um, you know, when, when I first uh, started pastoring, um, I had, I, I mean, I was more than willing to work full-time. I had a good job, and, and uh, so I just Felt like I didn't need to be supported financially, and that was until, of course, I got laid off, and then, you know, things changed, and and I needed to, and you know, the church wanted to support me as much as they were physically able to, and they did, uh, very gracious, um, but they also understand that this next pastor needs to have the ability to uh, to hear from the Lord and to be able to pursue the visions that he, that the Lord's given this the next pastor. And so they want to really support the next pastor as much as possible uh, to see that accomplished. And so, you know, the goal is to be able to support him full time. Right, because he's going to need time to lead. He's going to need time to plan. He's going to need time to meet with people and, and help identify and direct and uh, equip for future leaders, those kinds of things. And in the, in the previous, in the way you've had to do it because of your bivocational responsibilities, you haven't had that time. You've been gone from, from your bivocational job right into the requirements of the, of the ministry on Wednesday and Sunday. And, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, the interesting thing is, so when I was working full time and, uh, and then pastoring here, uh, you know, I was able to do it. And it seemed like, you know, the Lord just gave me the strength and the bandwidth of the time to do it. Uh, and then eventually I started working part-time. And uh, and then I kept thinking back, boy, I, how did I even manage full-time and, and pastoring? And yet during that season, God gave me the strength. You know, he, he provided. He, he just he met me in that situation and, and guided me through that. And uh, so, yeah, and, and then, you know, working part-time, uh, but the thing was, you know, to be able to really uh, pursue what the God wanted me to do, you know, I, I really had to 
kind of silence all the voices around or the expectations of people and just say, what's the most important thing that God wants me to do mm. as a pastor? What does he want our church to focus on? And so, you know, sometimes the pressure is you're going to do all these different kind of ministries and stuff. And yeah, they're all great, but, but you know, I have to be realistic. And, and Lord, what do you want me to do? And he's got a specific plan for, you know, each pastor in the churches. And, and uh, so, yeah, that's, I'd say that's an important thing. Okay, so that's a little bit of the picture of what the next pastor is going to be like. Um, what what does the, the, the pastor do next? So uh, this is going out to senior pastors and leaders of churches and assistant pastors that are listening to this, and they may know somebody that knows somebody. They may get a sense that I know somebody that could fit that really well, what do they do? How do they get the ball rolling if there if there's an interest, a sanctified interest in this? Yeah, uh, first thing to do is to contact me. They could send me an email, Don Ripstra, D O N R Y P S T R A at calvarychapel.com. Send me an in, uh, an email. Let me know that they're interested. I will send them a prospectus uh, that's got more information and, and the steps that they need to take to to pursue this further. Okay. So once again, that email address is donripestra at calvarychapel.com. Go ahead and spell that again if you would. Yeah, D-O-N-R-Y-P-S-T-R-A. Okay, at calvarychapel.com. At calvarychapel.com. Okay, very good. So we're kind of wrapping up the podcast at this point. So uh, I'm going to give you a a one-minute or two-minute drill like we typically do. I know you have a heart for pastors everywhere, and particularly the normal-sized church pastor, but speak to pastors, anything that's on your heart to share with them right now. You know, one of the things that, uh, for me, it was, it, it was, it was, it's hard to leave the fellowship. It's hard to leave this body of believers because I poured my life into them, and uh, we love each other. You know, it's, it's a good body of believers. Um, this church in particular is, one of the things I told them was, you know, God was doing all this work in my life to get me, you know, to this place where I'm making this transition. I really I really believe that God has guided me into this next phase of ministry. Um, but, but I said, you know, God's, it's not just about me. It's also about you. And God has a plan and a purpose for you individually and also for this church body. And so this, the, the people in our church are very excited uh, about the next pastor, and uh, they're going to love him, and, and they're going to be right behind him, supporting him in, in, in whatever vision the Lord's giving him. Uh, they're, they're anxious for that. So, um, you know, that, that's, you know, for, for any potential pastor, I just would encourage them that uh, they're going to come into a body that loves them and is just willing to, to come alongside and support them. Uh, you know, the other thing, too, is just for any pastor out there, um, you know, God's, God's called us to a certain ministry and, uh, you know, a certain group of people that the Lord's brought to us and to love them as much as you can and give them the word and, uh, you know, just pour into their lives. And, you know, f- for us, you know, it's, it's, of course, being a smaller church, you know, things are on a smaller scale. But, man, I tell you that the fruit of ministry isn't any different. It's, it's uh, you get people that just, you know, we, we keep hearing from people that tell us about how much they just valued their time uh, when they were here in Rochester at, at our church. And so, um, you know, just to be encouraged, you know, don't, don't get discouraged uh, you know, the, the people that you're ministering to, um, you know, they, they love you. And, uh, and, and God has them there for a season. And it's, it's your opportunity to pour into their lives. And who knows what the fruit of that will be later on. So important to hear that. You know, congregations have a self-esteem. Uh, and as it says in Romans 12, we're not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God has given to each of us a measure of faith. So uh, individuals aren't to speak, think of themselves more highly than they should, but neither should they think of themselves more lowly than they should. They should think soberly. And what does it mean to think soberly? Well, to think 
in in Jesus to think as Jesus thinks about it. His estimation of it. It's the only accurate estimation there is anyway. Yeah, that's right. And so we go that way. And and just as congregations have a, an esteem of themselves, so do the pastors. And so, Don, it's important for you to know that the Lord esteems your work here highly. You know, well done. Because look at the look at the work that's going on all over the world. Uh, because of the ministry here in in Rochester, Minnesota, and he's going to continue that work. What he begins, he doesn't he doesn't stop. <laughs> Amen. And you know, there's a next phase. There's a new there's a new season for Calvary Chapel Rochester, yeah. and, and we're excited about what the Lord's got planned. Amen. And you know, I'm excited for you and Teresa. This this next chapter in Idaho is going to be great for you. I know that you're not going to just uh, sit on a couch somewhere and. And, uh, you know, eat popcorn and bonbons the rest of your life. Uh, you're going to be serving the Lord and, and soul Teresa and, and the ways that God has had, has for you to do. And, and of course, next step, you'll still be involved with BGEA, which you love. Yeah. So that's good. Good on you for, for this next step. And it's going to be a blessing. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, you're welcome. So, again, uh, any respondents to uh, the uh, interest in the senior pastor, lead pastor role at Calvary Chapel, Rochester, Minnesota, you need to email Pastor Don Reipstra. His email address is donreipstra at calvarychapel.com. And he will send you a pastoral prospectus, which describes exactly what you should do in your next step. So follow that to a T. And by the way, uh, any pastoral candidate will need to be able to be affiliated as a Calvary Chapel pastor. So keep that in mind as you consider whether or not to uh, go through a, 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 an application process. So thanks for listening. Uh, Pastor Don, it's been great to be here with you and Teresa this weekend and great to talk with you in this podcast. Thanks for joining us again. Yeah, it's it's a pleasure having you here, Bill, and, and we really appreciate the ministry appointment uh, appointment ministry. It's very vital and uh, we treasure we treasure your all you men that are doing this. It's a it's a rich group of men and I'm I'm thankful every day for the the men that I get to labor with in this ministry. So, Calvary Chapel, Rochester, Minnesota, you've heard it here, direct to you from the living room of Don and Teresa Reipstra here in Rochester. If you would like to reach out to Poyman Ministries for anything we can do to strengthen pastors, to strengthen churches, then the show host will give you that information following the conclusion of this podcast. God bless you, and again, thank you for joining us in podcast number 157 of Strength for Today's Pastor. Strength for Today's Pastor is sponsored by Pointman Ministries. You can find us at pointmanministries.com. That's spelled P-O-I-M-E-N ministries.com. If something in today's program prompts a question or comment, or if you have a topic idea for a future episode, just shoot us an email at strongerpastors at gmail.com. That's strongerpastors at gmail.com. May the Lord bless you as you serve him, his pastors, and his church. Mm -hmm.